From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Milady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. And we're very glad that you're with us today here on Open Line Thursday on EWTN Radio. Let me give you our phone number uh, because uh, things do get a little uh, a little busy on Thursdays around here. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're listening to us outside of North America, please dial 1 and then 205-271-2985. Uh, also, you can uh, shoot us an email if you prefer that. The address, openline at EWTN.com, openline at EWTN.com. Be sure to put Thursday in the subject line. Or, if you wish, you could put in the subject line, Father Brian Milady. How are you today, Padre? Just peachy, thank you. Coming to you from St. Peter and Paul Church in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Yes. Beautiful. There, so, yeah, you there just, is such a place. There yes. is indeed. Yeah, it's not just on the Jack Benny show. No. No, no. <laughs> we, we want to make that very clear. So you just you're uh, you just finished up an Advent retreat or are in, in the middle yes. of one? Yes. I just very, finished one, and I'm starting another one on Sunday. Saturday night. Fan, so. Fantastic. While we're getting some of these phone lines uh, going here, since this is Thursday of the first week of Advent, I know that you've got some things to say about the holy season of Advent. Right. Well, of course, as you know, it's the church's new year. It's what they call the year of the first New Year's of the year of grace. The calendar year, the year of nature, begins the first of January. Mm -hmm. But the world of supernature, where we remember especially the events of the life of our Lord all in one year, um, is uh, now. It's the first Sunday of Advent. So we need to think about what it is we're celebrating soon. And I often say, you know, I know a lot of you have spent a lot of time and money, not maybe so much this year because we're in a recession, but a lot of effort already to preparing your houses for a family feast by decking your halls with boughs of holly. And that's very uh, appropriate. However, if we forgot that this was also one of the principal religious holidays of the church year, and also that it forms the separation of time before Christ, and I know this is not PC now, but we used to say Anno Domini in the year of our Lord. That's right. That's right. That we have to talk about decking our souls as a fit manger in which Christ can be born. So the church presents us with a season, thoughtfully, to deck our souls internally with the virtues and gifts. And it's called Advent, and of course the word Advent means coming. There are actually three comings of Christ, though, that we're recalling in this season. There's the first and most obvious one, which was 2,000 years ago when he came in weakness and humility mm -hmm. in the stable in Bethlehem. We know the time of that coming. But there's also a future coming, which our liturgy reflects in 
which is the second coming. We do not know the day or the hour of this coming. And we also know that Christ who came once in humility and suffering will now come in glory and triumph to judge the living and the dead. So we now here on earth in our time stand between the first coming, which was 2000 years ago, and the second coming, we know not when it will occur. And we have to prepare ourselves in light of the first coming or the second coming by cultivating the third coming. Remember when Christ came to earth 2000 years ago, he found no room in the inn. You could say in almost in a sense, he found no room in men's hearts. The question is, what room will he find in your hearts this year when he comes at Christmas? Will he find a place which is adept and adorned with the virtues and the gifts that's beautiful and full of light and warmth and a welcome? Or will he find, like he did 2,000 years ago, the door shut, coldness. Remember, he was born in the stable then because he was rejected by men. During Advent, we need to work on preparing our souls for the spiritual birth of Christ in our hearts through grace. And of course, the way we do that somewhat is through penance. That's why we wear purple vestments. But it's also through confession of our sins, through a vigorous moral inventory, and through an attempt to address those places where we haven't been welcoming in our heart, or others especially, for the last year. In my parish mission yesterday, I was a little surprised because I emphasized to them that even though we do confess our sins and we do emphasize suffering because of the cross, Christianity is basically a happy religion <laughs> where we look forward to the second coming of Christ and his resurrection. And in the first coming, he came because he loved us. And not only that, but his coming was recognized by both the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the persons of the shepherds, the Gentiles and the persons of the Magi, even though from all intents and purposes externally, he certainly didn't look like the Messiah. He certainly didn't look like the one who was going to save the world. All he was was a little tiny child, a stable. And he did this so that we might have access to someone like ourselves, oh, he's the second person of the Trinity, to return to union with the Trinity, the unity which we had with Adam and Eve before the sin was committed. So in this time of Christ Mass or Christmas, mm -hmm. we need to constantly look into our souls and say, what will Jesus find there when he's born this year? So we have, what, about oh, 24 days, 23 days to deck our halls with boughs of holly until shopping days till Christmas. But those are also 23 days to deck our souls with grace and virtues and the gifts and to realize what it means to say that Jesus is the Savior of world. Yes, indeed. 
It is Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. Here's our phone number if you have a question for Father Brian, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Father, I saw something uh, yesterday on social media, and I'm wondering if you think this would be a good practice. This person wrote that uh, it might be a good idea during the month of December, as we're counting down the days of Advent, uh, to look at the book of Luke because it has 24 chapters. If one were to read a chapter a day during December, we would have the whole life of, uh, of Jesus right there as a good, good preparation. What do you think? Well, any salutary practice you can use to increase your devotion and your concentration on the mystery is, is helpful, and certainly the Gospel according to St. Luke is one of those. Okay, very good. Here's an interesting uh, email question that we received. Uh, this is from Nathan. Why did Thomas Aquinas promote the execution of heretics? Well, he didn't exactly promote the execution of heretics. I hope not. Uh, Thomas Aquinas recognized that he lived in a society which was primarily Christian, Catholic. Uh-huh. In fact, 99% of the people that lived there were at least nominally Catholic. Mm -hmm. And so in the Middle Ages, they tended to think that part of their social unity had to also be unity with the church. So heresy was an ecclesiastical crime. In other words, you could be excommunicated for it. Mm -hmm. The church never executed anyone. The state decided that because of the necessity of the union of one religion in the state, that those who were heretics would somehow disturb peace in the state. And also there was the idea that you were killing men's souls by teaching them heresy. And so they would execute them to remove them from the state. Interestingly enough, you couldn't be executed for heresy if you weren't Christian. <laughs> because you weren't a heretic. Wow, wow. You know, Jews and Muslims, they weren't they weren't heretics because they weren't Christian. It was only the Christians of that that occurred. But it was an attempt to emphasize the unity of society. All right. Well, we do appreciate that. And Nathan, thanks so much uh, for your email. In a moment, we'll get to the phones. And uh, we have a couple of lines open for you right now. After all, the name of the show is Open Line, duh. 833-288-EWTN is that number. 833-288-3986. Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady on EWTN. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, we're glad you're with us on this uh, Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. Again, that phone number, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. 
going to speak for just a moment here about EWTN's National Catholic Register. If you haven't picked one up lately, well, you should. It's America's most trusted Catholic news source with a comprehensive view of the world from a Catholic perspective. And right now, as you're planning out, uh, you know, what to get for this person, what to get for that person, well, you can give a gift subscription for Christmas or subscribe for yourself, save up to 42%. Wow. Visit ncregister.com today, ncregister.com. By the way, you can also receive daily, weekly, or alert emails from the register. Just go to EWTN.com, click on the word subscribe, and then choose the National Catholic Register. We will take it from there. All right, if you're ready now, let's go to the phones at 833-288-EWTN. We begin with Stephanie in Dayton, listening on the great Sacred Heart Radio. Hey, Stephanie, happy Advent to you. What's on your mind today? The same to both of you, and thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, Father, I was listening to you, and uh, your words were wonderful, as it applies to every single one of us during this time that we have to look to ourselves deep in our soul, um, and are we prepared for Christ, for His coming? Um, And it it brought to my mind in a way that not only for ourselves, which is part of the equation, but for the entire Church, um, leaders of the Church, the people of the Church, how can we as a church, look introspectively to the soul of the church, and how can we, like, attack the problem of, uh, you know, uh, uh, abortion and the violence of abortion? How can we, as an entire church, the people, the leaders, um, advocate for this matter make a more significant change. Okay. Well, uh, actually, the I don't know about you, I was pleasantly surprised when uh, Roe versus Wade was overturned. I never thought it would happen in my lifetime. Although, of course, apparently that doesn't do much for the actual children uh, because people still, of course, can go through the states and their other it's sad, really, when you yeah, think about it. it is. And not only that, but I was listening to the television when Roe versus Wade was overturned, and I was astonished at how many women hate children, hate children, and don't want them, period. They don't even want them around, in a sense, really, which is very, very sad as far as I'm concerned. The best thing we can do is teach our doctrine because our doctrine is very clear about this subject and about many others. And one of the things this is most an attack on is the family. And the family is the basic society on which all of the societies, including the church, rise and fall. And it's the family that's most under attack in our Western world right now. So as a church, we can do whatever we can to encourage the development of healthy families. I noticed, uh, sadly, that the Congress has just approved same-sex marriage. They managed to finally get that thing through, uh, which is also an attack on the family. We need to uh, encourage our bishops, the clergy, the Catholic schools, even ourselves by our attitude. 
to emphasize not just the children, because the problem of the children comes more from the problem of the family, the necessity of, well, people, first of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always tell people, uh, you know, uh, God created the world so that people would enjoy him in heaven. And they can't enjoy him in heaven if there's no people. <laughs> that's true. So, yeah, that's the basic requirement. So, and healthy people, too. As you, I, Again, I was uh, talking to people about the uh, fact that when teenagers commit suicide, it shows that there's a spiritual dearth. There's a lack of spiritual life in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, many of our ancestors were very poor. Uh, they came from peasant backgrounds, some of them agrarian backgrounds where they didn't even own the land, uh, where they were persecuted. But they didn't commit suicide because they had a spiritual life. Mm-hmm. We need also to encourage the life of the spirit. Stephanie, thanks so much for your call. That opens up a line for you right now at 833 833- 288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's open line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady here on EWTN Radio. Let's go now to uh, Andrew listening in Texas on Sirius XM, Channel 130. Andrew, what's on your mind today? Hey, good afternoon, Father. Uh, My question is, is indwelling sin the same as original sin? Okay. I never heard the expression indwelling sin. Where does that come from? Do you have that? Uh, I, I was, excuse me? Go go right ahead, Andrew. Did I've you? never heard the expression indwelling sin. Where does that come from anyway? I, I was just, I, I saw the term and I looked it up and I was reading. Where? Uh, I couldn't find, I couldn't find anything in, like in the uh, catechism. So I said, well, That's let me just ask a, the question. Well, it's not a Catholic term, apparently. I've never heard of it. That's for sure. Original sin reflects the fact that every single one of us that's born into the world now is born into the world without grace. Now, that, unlike the Protestants, what you said sounds to me Protestant, mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. who believe that uh, human beings sin in all their acts. We don't believe that. We believe we have a tendency to sin, personal sins Mm -hmm. in all of our deeds. Uh, But the fact that we can still do some goods, too, even without grace. In trivial sense, St. Augustine, when he enumerated the things we could do without grace that weren't sin, he said things like plant vineyards and build houses. But the point is, we don't sin in all of our acts. There's no such thing as indwelling evil. There's indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit that transforms our souls. But um, grace, as Bishop Sheehan used to say, always has a, has a beachhead in our souls because we do not lose the natural gifts of intelligence and will, which are in themselves still oriented to truth and love, and, or the um, passions and their, their orientation toward being obedient to reason is just very hard for us to do it. Uh, so I would not say that's the same as original sin. In fact, I've never heard that term, and I think it's probably a Protestant term. 
There you go, Andrew. Appreciate your call. Thank you so much for it. Here is Steve now in New Orleans listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hey, Steve, happy Advent. What's on your mind today, sir? I have a question about confession. Last, twice in the last six months, I've gone to confession, and the priest did not tell me to say an act of contr- um, contrition. Is it still a valid confession? I actually went to a different church and today and was not asked to give an act of contrition. Okay. Well, he probably assumes you did it. I don't know. Some people do confession differently than others. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have you do the act of contrition before you start your confession. That's not the way I was taught, and that's not the way I do it. But I would think he would assume that you would say the act of contrition um, before going to confession. Uh, I would say the confession is still valid. But uh, next time, if he doesn't ask you to do it, you should either personally do it before or after your confession. There you go, Steve. Appreciate your call. Here's Jeff in Duluth now on the on the great Real Presence Radio. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today, sir? Good afternoon. I'm Catholic, you know, and I pray about this issue of marriage. I know people in safe-sex unions and, and, of course, heterosexual couples, and I've always believed that marriage is between a man and a woman, and it's a sacramental union blessed by God, and sacraments are not something that you can legislate. So when I thought about this whole debate with civil unions and same-sex, quote-unquote, marriages, I thought, couldn't a compromise be where you have civil unions or you have same-sex couples involved in civil unions and call it a civil union and still preserve the sacramentality, the sacramental um, um, nomenclature of a marriage? Because I, I feel that this is an aberration to what marriage is. Okay, Father? What's it? What's an aberration to what marriage is? I, I don't think a same-sex marriage is a marriage. I'm sorry. It's I not. just don't believe it is. Well, it's not. And it's not. And not only is it not a sacramental marriage, but it's not a natural marriage. You know, um, two people in, uh, who are pagans who decide they want to have, you know, live together for their lives and have children... Uh, and whose actions are ordered toward children, because that's the primary ordering. Um, they're married, but they're married by natural marriage, whereas the sacrament of marriage adds the dimension of the union of Christ with his church and the union of the Holy Trinity and things like that. And it's only for baptized people. But in either case, the whole purpose of marriage is a friendship which is based on the sexual act. And the sexual act has as its purpose children, procreation and education of children. All this business began actually with the French Revolution with contraception. And its final fruit now has been to completely remove contraception from the equation almost. Can't do that. That's an exceedingly deep attack on the family. Same as divorce. You know, divorce... um, is a sin. Catechism is very clear about that. And that's not just divorce of a sacramental marriage. It's also a divorce of a natural marriage. It's a natural evil. Because the whole reason marriage exists is for people to give themselves to each other for life and love and also to bring forth children to go to heaven. 
So, uh, yes, I agree. And there's no compromise. You can't. Once you compromise one of those things, you compromise the whole thing. Uh, as you'll see, I mean, we're going to have a lot of trouble preserving our ability and religious freedom to not have same-sex marriage. Now, the Congress has approved it here, although it's approved in Spain, it's approved in lots of countries, um, they're Catholic. And, but uh, the instant they touch the marriage of a man and a woman in the Catholic Church, then we know in the sacrament of marriage that uh, we're under persecution. All right, Jeff, and thank you so much uh, for your call. In a moment, we'll get back to the phones, that number 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question for Father Brian Mullady, 833-288-3986. Open line Thursday with Father Brian here on EWTN. Stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hey, glad you're with us for Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. couple of lines open for you at 833-288-EWTN. If you have a question for Father Brian, 833-288-3986. Something you'd like to know about Advent. We had a great explanation of what Advent is all about at the top of the show. Uh, If you missed that, maybe you've got a a follow-up question for us. In any event, the number 833-288-EWTN. EWTN. Hey, if you're listening to us in Iowa, well, your Catholic radio station needs to hear from you next week. Siouxland Catholic Radio is airing their Advent Pledge Drive next Tuesday through Thursday. So if you're listening in Sioux City or Storm Lake or anywhere, please support your Catholic radio station. All right, let's back to the phones now at 833-288-EWTN. Here is Aaron in Metairie, Louisiana, listening on the great Catholic Community Radio. Aaron, happy uh, Advent to you. What's on your mind today? Thank you very much. Um, my question is about, uh, well, I had a discussion with a relative of mine about dogs in heaven, and we went back and forth, and my response was, dogs don't have a rational soul. They're not in heaven. She, you know, countered. I kind of ended the discussion with, if you need your dog in heaven, you're probably not in heaven. But later on, I got to thinking about my children. And one of my biggest concerns is that they would leave the faith or uh, stray and not make it to heaven. And I started to wonder, you know, would, had St. Monica not been successful in her pleas to heaven to convert her son, you know, would, would we feel that in heaven? If you had any thoughts on it. I mean, obviously, there's probably no absolute answer, but... That was my question. If we had any thoughts on how you would feel, you know, you're no longer happy in heaven. How's that possible? You're in heaven, but the okay. child's not there. All right. Yeah, you will be perfectly happy in heaven. The pro- the sad thing is that if your children don't make it, you'll know about that. But you approve of it only because you know it's divine providence. And also because you love God, well, so much. And um, it's remember, it's your children's problem, not yours. Uh, although you, of course, love them on earth and you want them to convert. And remember, St. Monica, she wasn't content to see Augustine lost. And the only reason I stayed alive, she said, was to see you become a Catholic Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and now... Um, uh, Bury me where I die, she says. Don't take me home. Don't do anything. I finally seen what I was praying for. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, it, it'll, it's difficult to tell people that they'll approve of even their nearest and dearest being in uh, not in heaven only because they approve of God's will in this regard. And it was the person themselves, remember, who chose not to be in heaven. That's true. Aaron, thank you so much uh, for your call. I was thinking about, you know, we were during the break there, uh, Father and I and, and our producer, Michael, were, were talking about uh, uh, my wife, Michael's wife, and, and my wife knows uh, very well that no matter much how much I love her, she knows that I also love God more than her. And that's, that's, that, that gives order to our own lives, and she feels the same way. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And remember the well, the man in Judas Maccabeus who ate the meat and the mother ah. <laughs> had, no, had no mercy. Yeah. <laughs> he, he broke the law. Yeah. And, uh, yeah there so. you go. Aaron, thanks so much for your call. Hope that's uh, helpful for you. Anne is watching us on YouTube today. Anne says, how late is too late to arrive in a mass for me to receive the Eucharist. I was told as a kid that if it was it was after the gospel, it was too late. Does it change if it's a daily mass and not a Sunday mass? Any thoughts there, Father? Uh, well, a daily mass, you can go anytime you want and go to communion. Sure, sure. Because <laughs> there's no obligation to go to a daily mass. Mm -hmm. But Sunday is an obligation, and it's an obligation because it's our participation in the cross fulfilling the third commandment. So um, my understanding is that you have to get there for the gospel. Okay. And that's that's it, you know, because uh, the essential parts of the mass are the offertory, the consecration, and the communion. Um, so you, I guess you could arrive at the end of the gospel, although that's pretty late. Uh, but other than that, um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, that's my understanding. But, I'm, uh, I'm sure Anne will do her best. Thanks so much for your question. Here is uh, Peter now. Peter's listening to us in Tyler, Texas. I was actually uh, driving through Tyler earlier in the week, uh, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hey, Peter, what's on your mind today? Hey, uh, just following up a little bit on the last caller here, uh, my question has to do with those who are in heaven. Obviously, anyone who's heaven is a, in heaven is a saint, but I'm not necessarily talking about recognized saints. I'm talking about deceased uh, friends and relatives, yeah, which is what what do they what what is the uh, uh, the perception? What is the, the the ability of those people to see us and intercede for us? Sometimes independently, you know. I mean, maybe parents watching over their kids or or whatever. I'm a Protestant, and in the you know, generally speaking, in the Protestant world, there's there's sort of this idea. There's this extreme cutoff. Like when somebody's in heaven done the communication line is is, is no, no, no. uh i don't no. believe that myself and i just like to hear a, you know a little more methodical catholic viewpoint on uh, on how we can look at that okay okay well uh no uh, not in catholicism remember in catholicism the church has three forms 
you have the church here on earth, which we used to call the church militant. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean we're all in warfare. What it means is that as a person in a military campaign, we're looking for victory in the end after the pilgrimage of our life. Then you have the church suffering, which would be the poor souls in purgatory. And then you have the church triumphant, who would be the saints in heaven. And all those people are members of the church and they all have a kind of intercommunion with each other through our Lord. Because Paul says Christ is the head of his body, the church. Well, all those people are, are part of the body of Christ. And so through Christ the head, they all have communion with each other. So that's why we pray to help to influence the purgation of the souls in purgatory um, we also ask the intercession. We don't actually really pray to the saints. That's kind of a misnomer. We ask their intercession to help us get through life and to be our companions on the journey. And that includes the angels, too, by the way. Catholicism has a doc doctrine called the guardian angels. And this reflects scripture, you know. He's given his angels charge over you. And then uh, they have fellowship with us, too, because they communicate God's will to us, and the saints in heaven can influence also the people in purgatory, because it's all one society as far as we're concerned. Okay. Uh, Peter, is that helpful for you? Yeah, just uh, just a, a little add-on here, just to give you a hypothetical. Uh, my my uh, mother is deceased. She was a... Uh, uh, a strong believer. She was uh, Anglican, so, uh -huh. you know, uh, and I had a dream in which I, I saw her. It was the most beautiful, beautiful person I had ever seen. For a while, I thought, okay, is that Mary? Did I have a vision of Mary? I said, no, that was my mother. But anyway, okay, what is she, is, is she able to intercede, for instance, for my brother, who, uh, assuming she's in heaven, is she able to intercede, yes. or would she of her own volition, or does yes. she have to be asked to do that? No, no. It would be the same as someone here on, on Earth, the mother of here on Earth, where you don't have to be asked often to, um, you know, try to influence people in favor of your children, or even to give them advice. So, no, if, assuming she's in heaven, she certainly has the ability to encourage uh, her children here on Earth still. Peter, thanks so much for your call. Keep listening to, uh, to Sirius XM Channel 130, a great channel 24 hours a day just for you. Appreciate your call. Here's a question now from Fred watching us on Facebook this afternoon. Father, please explain what the Catholic Church means by the word transubstantiation. What are we talking about? Uh -huh. Let's see, you want that in, uh, let's see, three minutes, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Transubstantiation was used by the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215 to define the nature of the change of the bread and wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ during the Mass. And what transubstantiation basically teaches is that when the priest says the words of institution, over the bread and the wine, they, their properties, which would include their molecular structure, mm -hmm. remain that of bread and wine. But their whole being 
if you have any uh, um, familiarity with uh, Greek philosophy, their form and their matter all change to be the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ as it exists in heaven. Now, the fact that the properties remain, you know, um, molecular structure, etc., means that we don't believe in cannibalism. We're often accused of that. Not at all. But what we do is, through these properties, we worship and we receive the Lord as he is in heaven. And the properties are such that some Catholics have trouble with this business of the properties. Um, I was told by one very pious woman one time that, uh, you know, I had to give communion under both species. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, they consecrated too much. They put too much of the wine in the chalice. Uh-oh. So I had three huge chalices full of the precious blood. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> and I had, to, I had to consume them all. And I could barely get up the pulpit for the next mass <laughs> to give the talk because the property, they, they preserve the properties of wine. So they'll make you drunk if you drink enough. Sure. But, but it's not wine. It's Christ's blood. And so we have a, a semi-realistic view of the Eucharist. We don't believe it's so realistic that the properties change, even though we do have miracles of bleeding hosts. Mm-hmm. Those are true miracles in the sense that they're very rare and they're meant to encourage people who don't believe to faith and transubstantiation. On the other hand, the opposite error is to say, well, it just means Jesus for me, but it's still bread and wine. No, it, it's, it's really him. Really, our Lord, body, blood, soul, and divinity. But for all intents and purposes, by exterior uh, uh, perception, mm-hmm. it's just bread and wine. And that includes, as I say, the molecular structure. So, this is our explanation, which is very just somewhat different than the Protestants because it takes the term substance to mean a being that exists in its own right. And what remains constant, which is not true of any other change in nature, are what are called the accidents, which are the properties which occur in some other being. And so this is a miracle every time it's performed because it's completely beyond the pale of nature to do that. Yes, indeed. Wow, great explanation, too. Uh, thank you, Father. And then, Fred, that is hopefully helpful for you. Glad you're watching us this afternoon on Facebook. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady here on EWTN Radio. want to let you know about some wonderful programming we have for you this weekend, Advent Reflections. Join us for our series of Advent Reflections on the readings from the four Sundays of Advent as we're looking at uh, the second Sunday of Advent coming up on Sunday. Check out that great program at 4 p.m. Eastern and 8.30 p.m. Eastern right here and only here on EWTN Radio. All right, it's uh, Open Line Thursday with uh, Father Brian and a question here from Bethany, Father. How is it moral to have children if it makes it possible for them to go to hell? The reason we have children is to go to heaven. 
if they want to choose to go to hell, that's their business. Mm, okay. But the Lord, the Lord didn't. The problem is if you have choice, and we do, the glory of choice, the glory of being what John Paul II calls partners with the absolute, uh, and that's sheen in the first great commandment, that little tiny thing about the apple or the fruit of the tree, mm-hmm. it seems very trivial. But because Adam and Eve are so constituted in integrity, it's a big deal for them. All right. Yeah. Uh, because you have choice, the whole purpose God made choice for, the will is for good, for love, for truth. Because that's it's free, though, mm-hmm. God doesn't want slaves. He wants servants and he wants sons and daughters. It's possible to do it the other way. So it would be terrible if we had the we weren't created because we might choose evil. I mean, I'm fortunate. I don't know where I'm going. I'm getting older and older toward the whole thing. <laughs> but I thank God for the glory of existence, and I also thank Him for the glory of free choice, and that I can choose Him. And not only that, but when I've done something wrong, I can choose to rely upon him to correct it. So it would be a terrible thing if just because people might choose evil, we decided they shouldn't exist. Instead, we give everyone the possibility of going to heaven. Uh, We hope that they don't choose hell. And we try to do everything necessary to ensure that they will eventually choose heaven. That's what Christ came to earth and the sacraments and the whole thing. Bethany, thanks so much uh, for your question via email here on EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Let's go now to Fort Hood, Texas, talk with Xavier, listing on Sirius XM 130. Xavier, what's on your mind today, sir? Yes, how are you doing? Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm just seeking for uh, seeking guidance right now. Uh, I'm not, I haven't been the best Catholic in my life so far because I've been away from mass and religion and stuff but um having two kids now motivate me to get close to my faith and stuff and i'm very yeah. happy and very forward to that um but uh, we have we read uh the bible together i have the ewtn app and and we read the the readings for today and stuff um but i just want to know what best way i i can what what i can do to guide myself first to get closer to uh, being a Catholic and then guide my family to being a Catholic, too. Um, my wife is a Baptist, and sometimes we argue about that. Like, you know, we go Baptist way, we go Catholic way, you know, but I want my kids and I want my family to build that faith, too. What a great phone call, Father. Yes. Well, first of all, I'm glad you're using the EWN app. That's great. Um, as to your wife, you have to let her come along and her freedom. But as for you and, and your children, you need. there's no substitute for going back to Mass on Sunday. You have to be sure that you go to Mass on Sunday. I just, dare I say, as a religious practice, <laughs> which, which means according to the law of the church, which yes. is every Sunday and holy day. And uh, if I were you, I would seek uh, a vigorous examination of conscience for the time you've been away from the church, and I would also go to confession. 
and communion if I could. That's the best way. The whole thing is centered on the mass and communion. Without that, all the other stuff is helpful. But the central act is the mass and communion. All right. Appreciate your call there, Xavier. Thank you so much for checking in from Fort Hood. We're going to stay in Texas and talk with Melissa, who's listening in Grapevine, Texas, also on Sirius. Hey, Melissa, what's on your mind today? Well, hello. Thank you so much. And hello, Father. My question is, I'm a practicing Catholic. I love being Catholic. And um, I'm very active in my church in Grapevine. My, My struggle is that my husband that I married last year, we're both in our late 40s, I asked him, you know, what he believes, and he said, I don't know. I want to believe that there's something out there. I just don't know what that is. So what do you I mean never by... bought him. He, I what don't do you know. What do out there? He, he believes there's something up there, there's something out there that's okay. powerful. Okay. So he just doesn't says... know what that means. Oh, is, is he is he a does he profess to be a Catholic? No. No. All right. Did you no. know this when you married him? Yes. He was baptized okay. Lutheran. Okay, so he's a Lutheran, basically. Okay. Yes. Uh, at least by baptism. Yeah. Yes. Uh, what? Okay. So, what would you like to know again? What can I do? Who, besides praying, besides hiding a green scapular under his pillow, what, what can I do to help him understand Jesus and there is a God? Um, I'm leading by example, I feel like, but I feel like it's just not enough for him to see it. Well, I think sometimes people want instantaneous conversions. And this is especially true of men and women, or women and men. Men don't, they don't come along mostly instantaneously. I mean, you have to give them space and respect their ability to establish their freedom. If you are happy, happy, I underline, in your religion, and you obviously love your church, and you love our Lord, and I assume you probably do celebrate holidays like Christmas and and Easter. When you do that, that you at least have some kind of religious dimension to them, then your husband will probably come along eventually, but you can't push the river. (laughs) (laughs) And unfortunately with men, their ego is such that the more you push the river, the more they push back. Mm. So you need to be patient with him and uh, not want him to come along too quickly. All right? And and what she's doing there, Father, is is providing that example in his life every day right. and, and not, to, uh, not to underestimate the power of that. And, be, and I emphasize be happy in your example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you, you're not doing it because you want to force him to do it. You're doing it because you want to do it, and you hope maybe someday he might do it too. But it's almost like fishing, you know. I mean, you have to sit there and be patient to try to get the fish to finally bite the hook. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I, uh, I, my father never took me fishing except once and never took me again because I'm not patient and I talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> 
Good and uh, it's a similar way with people. That's why the apostles were fishermen, you know. I mean, you had to be uh, cagey about it all. Mm. But let him give him his space. But let him know what you think, which means something to you very strongly, and let him see you happy in that. And believe me, he'll have some questions. Yeah. Melissa, thanks so much for your call. Here's a question now from Bradley watching on Facebook. I was told by a woman parishioner the other day that the reason that I have severe schizoaffective disorder is because I'm the victim of a generational sinful family curse and that it's my job to break the curse by prayer, fasting, and penance. What do I do with this claim? It seems very unhelpful. And where in the world do people get these ideas? And that's from Bradley. Right. The last part of the question is rather easy to answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, Believe me, Christianity, as someone who's worked in it as a clergyman for 55 years, is loaded with strange ideas. Yes, yes. (laughs) And people that can seem extremely pious and from the best intentions in the world can say the silliest things sometimes. Now, look, I don't know why you have that, but I... Sure, it's not due to a family curse. Okay. So don't worry about that. I think uh, we have just barely. The curse part. Yes. Barely enough time here to get to Leroy in New Orleans. Leroy, we've got about 30 seconds. What's on your mind, sir? Yeah, well, I have a question. I have no recall of what I, where I was at or what I did before I came to dessert. And uh, I, came here, I, came here, I came here alone. So, so my question is. Why, if, if, somebody, if somebody in heaven could do murder, rape, and, and up there, up there, kill folk and all this, it's not like they're in hell, not heaven. And heaven should be a place of bliss, not of sorrow and all, and, and sorrow and, and, and this kind of stuff. Okay. Any, any thoughts there, Father? Well, except that I couldn't understand him, but what did he ask me? Well, if you know about evil, how how is it heaven? I'm not quite sure. Well, because you know about evil as a just punishment for people who've rejected good. That's why. Okay. Uh, heaven that consists in approving of their punishment because it affects the providence of God. Leroy, Choice. Leroy, there you go. Uh, Father, could you give us your blessing? May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be sent upon you. And remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. And thank you for listening to Open Line. Be sure to join us tomorrow for Colin Donovan at this same time. I'm Tom Price. We will see you then. Have a great one and God bless. Mm-hmm.